The song we just heard was recently released by the British band Mumford and Sons. The lead singer, Marcus Mumford, is a preacher's kid. 
His parents are leaders in the Vineyard Church in the UK. And so Mumford grew up in the church and in a strong Christian tradition. Many of his songs uh, explore themes of faith and redemption and brokenness and grace. But Mumford tells Rolling Stone magazine that uh, he is not comfortable describing himself as a Christian. He prefers to think of himself as a work in progress when it comes to faith. The song's become quite popular. I heard it again just the other day on the radio, and I think you're going to hear it on the final four tomorrow as well. So the song's uh, become a big hit. It's not just the, uh, the, the haunting melody. It's not just the driving beat. It's, it's the message of the song that resonates with many people. I don't even know if I believe. And as the music video suggests, in this fast-paced, ever-changing world in which we live, figuring out if you believe and what you believe is not an easy task. The empty park bench in the final scene invites us to slow down and sit for a few minutes and think about these important things. Now, Marcus Mumford is not alone in his struggle with faith. They tell us that the numbers of agnostics and atheists are steadily rising in our nation in recent years. They tell us that the third largest faith group in the world today, after Christians and Muslims, is the uncommitted group. Atheists, agnostics, those who have no religious affiliation at all. We hear a lot these days about the new atheism, about the good without God movement, and we'll talk about them a little bit next week. So as Mumford's song suggests, many people today aren't wondering what to believe, but if they believe. And of all the things that people are asked to believe and struggling to believe, perhaps the most challenging to believe is that Jesus of Nazareth actually physically rose from the dead. And that's the question we're going to be going after here this morning as we kick off our unbelievable teaching series. Exploring faith and doubt. Now, whether you consider yourself a skeptic or a seeker or a believer or a fanatic, I think we'd all agree that we are works in progress when it comes to our faith journeys. We all struggle sometimes with if and what we believe. So in the end, you have to decide if the Christian faith is unbelievable or unbelievable. Next few weeks, we'd like to help you think about that. So next week, we'll ask if Christianity is a reasonable faith from the perspective of science and philosophy. In two weeks, we'll ask if Christianity is a historic faith. Can we trust the Bible and the historicity of Jesus of Nazareth? In three weeks, we'll ask if Christianity is a beautiful faith. Does it do good for people and the world? But today, we're focusing on a very specific and foundational question. Can a reasonable person really believe that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead, physically, actually? And we'd like to consider that question through the eyes of a Mumford-esque kind of character we meet in the Bible. His name is Thomas, and his story is told in John chapter 20. So let's walk through this little story and see where it leads us. We'll begin in John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. 
So Thomas was one of the original 12 disciples. He had been with Jesus for all of these three years as he ministered throughout Galilee and Judea. He'd been with Jesus right up to the end, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, the arrest, the trial, and as Jesus is led away to the cross. And at that point, Thomas, along with the other disciples, disappear. They go into hiding. That's Friday. Saturday, all is quiet in Jerusalem. Sunday morning, we know the women go to the tomb. They find it empty and an angel announcing that Jesus has risen. When they try to tell that to the disciples, the disciples have a hard time believing it. That night, Sunday night, they're gathered together in the room, maybe that same upper room they had the Last Supper in, and suddenly Jesus appears in the midst of them. He shows them his hands and his side, and the Bible says they were filled with joy. It's a great night, but here's the problem. Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't in the room that night. Now, we don't know why exactly. Maybe he was just busy. Maybe he was traveling out of the city. Maybe he was afraid to come out of hiding. Or maybe he didn't see the point. We don't have time to look at the backstory of Thomas, but he has shown a kind of a reputation for being a bit of a pessimist, pragmatist, realist, whatever word you want to choose to describe him. And so maybe from his realist's perspective, this Jesus thing was over. And the sooner they can move on with their lives, the better. So we don't know why he wasn't there, but that Sunday night, he missed the appearance of the risen Lord. See what happens when you skip church? <laughs> you don't know what you're going to miss. So when the other ten tell him about it, the next day perhaps, or a few days later, he doesn't believe it. He says, I can't believe it. Verse 25 unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. Now, we can't blame him. They're asking him to believe something unbelievable. I mean, this would have been as hard for them to accept as for us to accept that someone had risen bodily from the dead and come back to life. He just couldn't, wouldn't believe it. Now, it does seem the disciples have seen something. Something's happened to them. Something's gotten them all worked up. Now, in that culture, it was very common among the Jewish people to believe that after a person died, their spirit or their ghost lingered around the, the area for three days before leaving. And so maybe Thomas concluded they saw Jesus' ghost or something like that. But whatever it was that got them all worked up, it wasn't working for him. He just wasn't buying it. They were asking him to believe the unbelievable. And he just couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it, he said, unless, unless I see with my own eyes and feel with my own hands. And we're in the same boat these many thousands of years later. Here we are, 2015, being asked to believe the unbelievable, that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the grave bodily, actually, on the third day. And we may not be as pragmatic or pessimistic as Thomas was, but there's a skeptical streak in all of us. I mean, picture this. You're walking along the sidewalk, and you come upon a park bench. And on that bench is a sign that says, wet paint. What's the first thought that comes to your mind? I bet it's not wet. <laughs> it was probably wet earlier when they painted it. Or maybe they just don't want you to sit on that bench. What do you want to do when you see that sign? Right. Get a load of these guys. 
right? What do you mean it's wet? That kind of wet? But that's us, right? We're doubters by nature. And if, if, if we have that much trouble with a wet paint sign, you can't blame a person for having a hard time believing that a human being rose from the dead. There's a little bit of Thomas in all of us. So maybe you're here as a skeptic or a seeker or a doubter or an I don't knower. That's okay. But maybe you're here because someone else believes it. Someone told you about it, and it's real to them. It's working for them, and they invited you the way the other disciples invited Thomas that night. And so you're here today. You don't really believe it, but you're here out of respect for them, maybe out of curiosity for what they're so excited about. Maybe you're here because they told you you couldn't eat Easter dinner unless you came to church with them today. <laughs> Whatever it is, you're here, but you're not really ready to believe that Jesus rose physically, bodily from the dead, and you're sure not ready to base your entire life on it. The truth is, even those of us who would call ourselves believers struggle with doubt and unbelief sometimes. I mean, is it really true? Does God really exist? Can I really trust the Bible? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? And does he somehow live today in the lives of his people? I mean, that's a lot of wet paint signs to deal with there. It's happened to me a variety of times in my faith journey over the course of my life. The, the one I remember, a vivid one, is my, my freshman year of high school. Now, like Marcus Mumford, I grew up in the church, strong Christian family, Sunday school, youth group, the whole deal, and I loved it. But suddenly, as a freshman in high school, I said, hey, wait a second. Is all this stuff really true? I mean, of course I believe it. It's all I've ever known. My parents believe it. All my church friends believe it. But can I believe it? Is it really true for me? See, I had some really smart friends in school who were challenging my faith intellectually. And I had some not quite as smart friends in school who were doing some what looked like fun stuff on the weekends that my Christian faith wasn't consistent with. If I was going to base my life on this, I needed to know it was true for me. And suddenly, I wasn't so sure anymore. And I'm sure you've been there. Every believer has been there in some season of doubt and questioning. And maybe you're in one right now. So we get it. When Thomas says, I just can't, won't believe it unless I can see something with my own eyes, unless I can touch it with my own hands, unless you give me some rock-solid evidence, I'm not going to believe it. So, let's see what happens to Thomas. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So a whole week has gone by now. There's been no sign of Jesus. Seven days, as far as we know, no more appearances of Jesus. So you've got to believe that even the, the other ten are beginning to doubt what they thought they saw that first night. But here they are, back in the room again, a week later on that Sunday night, the same room they'd been in before, and this time Thomas is with them. Now, I don't know why they got together. I don't know what they expected to happen. I don't know how they got Thomas to get there. Maybe they dared him. I don't know. But let's give Thomas credit for this. He shows up. He shows up that Sunday night. And next thing you know, 
Jesus shows up. Suddenly, Jesus is standing there in the middle of the room. And notice the first thing he says to them, peace be with you. Not, I hear we have a doubter among us. <laughs> or, nice of you to show up, Thomas. Just peace be with you. No rebuke, no scolding, just peace. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Again, no scolding, no, no uh, rebuke, just an invitation, a very personal invitation, as if he came for Thomas alone that night. And he offers Thomas evidence, hard data, empirical evidence, stuff he can see and feel and touch with his own eyes and hands. Look and see for yourself. And then he says something very interesting. Stop doubting and believe. Now it turns out that's a bit of an unfortunate translation. Jesus doesn't actually use the word doubt here in the original language. Now, there were words for doubt in the original language, but Jesus doesn't use any of those words. What Jesus literally says is, do not become unbelieving, but believing. This is interesting on a couple of counts. First of all, it tells us that the opposite of belief isn't doubt. The opposite of belief is unbelief. Because doubt is always present. Whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, there's always this nagging sense of doubt. What if I'm wrong? What if God does, does exist? What if Jesus did really rise from the dead? Doubt is always there. Doubt is not an enemy of faith. Doubt is the companion to faith. In fact, doubt is, is the midwife of faith because doubt prompts us to ask questions, to look more closely, to figure things out and come to our own decisions. So doubt is not an enemy. The second thing this verse tells us is that we are all a work in progress when it comes to faith. Belief isn't something that you necessarily arrive at all at once. All of us are moving toward faith and belief or pulling back from it. Jesus says, don't become unbelieving, but believing. We're all moving in one direction or another. For three years, Thomas is moving toward belief and commitment to Christ. When things fall apart at the cross, he begins moving away again. Now, based on the witness of his friends and what's happening in the room, he's moving back towards belief. So let me ask you, which way are you moving these days? Are you moving toward faith and following Christ? Or are you moving back and pulling away? Can a reasonable person really believe that Jesus actually physically rose from the dead? It's a pretty outrageous proposition. And since Jesus is not likely physically to appear in our room here today, what evidence do we have to believe that this can be true? Let me offer you a few lines of evidence for the resurrection. First, we have the empty tomb. No one disputes that the tomb was empty. Not the Roman authorities, not the Jewish authorities, not Thomas. 
Nobody denies that the, the tomb was empty. And for thousands of years, no one has been able to explain what happened to Jesus' body. If the authorities had it, Jewish or Roman, they surely would have produced the body. It would have brought an end to the whole thing right then and there. Did the disciples have the body? Well, that means they would have had to steal it. Now, the thought of stealing probably never even occurred to them because they never expected Jesus to rise in the first place. They thought it was all over. If the thought had occurred to them to try to steal the body, they would have had to get past an armed Roman guard. A bunch of fishermen and a tax accountant? I don't think so. <laughs> Thousands of years, the empty tomb stands as a silent witness to the resurrection. Secondly, we have the historical record. Four different gospel writers, varied but consistent accounts, eyewitness accounts of an empty tomb and a risen Jesus. You have the Apostle Paul giving testimony some years later. And then outside of the Bible, you have both Roman and Jewish historians who report an alleged resurrection. Thirdly, we have the dramatic transformation of the disciples. Something changed them from quivering cowards to courageous preachers, ready to face ridicule, ostracism, and gruesome death for something they knew was a lie or unlikely to be true. Fourth, we have the rise of the Christian faith, an unforeseen and unlikely belief system, unique belief system, that within a few hundred years has become the dominant force in Western civilization and has been for a couple of thousand years. The rise of the Christian faith is inexplicable apart from a resurrection. And finally, we have the personal testimony of millions of people, people from all time, all cultures, all languages, all backgrounds, all walks of life, who testify to a personal encounter with a risen Christ. So we don't have time today to unpack all five of those there. We've done that other times, and we may do a little of that, little of that in the next few weeks. But enough this morning to say that there's enough evidence out there that reasonable people do, in fact, believe that Jesus rose physically, actually, from the dead. Let me just remind you of a few prominent people who believe that. You'll probably recognize this guy, this guy here, the rock star Bono. One of the most influential figures in contemporary world. His music, his works of compassion have, have shaped our culture and made an unprecedented mark on the world. Listen to what he says about his faith in an interview he had recently with a British journalist. I think it's, the, it's a defining question for a Christian, is who was Christ. And, and I don't think you're let off easily by saying a great thinker or a great philosopher or, a, you know, because actually he went round saying he was the Messiah. That's why he was crucified. He was crucified because he said he was the Son of God. So he either, in my view, was the Son of God or he was not. No, no, nuts. Nuts, yes. Forget yes. rock and roll messianic complexes. This is like, I mean, Charlie Manson-type delirium. And I find it hard to accept that all the millions and millions of lives, half the Earth for 2,000 years, have been touched, have felt their lives touched and inspired by some 
nutter. I just, I don't believe it. I, so I therefore it follows that you believe he was divine. Yes. And therefore it follows that you believe that he rose physically from the dead. Yes, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm no problem with miracles. <laughs> I'm living around them. I am one. So there's a prominent, reasonable, accomplished voice who actually believes Christ rose from the dead. But there are other figures like that from all aspects of culture. Again, I'll just remind you of a few. Francis Collins, one of the leading scientists of our day, head of the Human Genome Project and now director of the National Institute of Health, believes in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, along with many other scientists. Condoleezza Rice, professor at Stanford University, former Secretary of State under President George W. Bush, believes in the resurrection. Carly Fiorina, powerful businesswoman, former CEO of Hewlett-Packard, has come to believe in the resurrection. Russell Wilson is an accomplished NFL quarterback who led his team to two Super Bowl appearances in consecutive years. Now I know, I know. <laughs> New England fans want to remind me that he lost that most recent Super Bowl to a local hero. But he is a gracious loser, and he testifies to faith in Christ. And as soon as that local hero testifies that he believes in the resurrection, we'll put his picture on the screen, okay? <laughs> so pray for that dead. Okay? Now, I am certainly not suggesting that because these people believe it, you have to believe it. You have to make your own decision and come to your own conclusion. All I'm trying to say is that many smart, capable, accomplished, honorable, fine people actually believe that Jesus of Nazareth rose physically from the dead. They've not only based their lives upon it, they've based their life work upon it and have impacted the world in some wonderful, beautiful ways. Maybe it's not so unbelievable after all. Maybe it's worth a closer look. When Thomas took that closer look, when he considered the evidence, he became a believer. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. It's one of the strongest, clearest declarations of faith we find anywhere in the scripture. But what do you think it was that actually was the tipping point for Thomas? What was it that brought him from unbelief to belief? Certainly, Jesus, his hands and feet, the scars, certainly that's compelling empirical evidence. But I think it was something more than that or maybe less than that. What I mean is, if you read carefully, you'll notice the scripture never tells us that Thomas actually reached out and touched Jesus' hands or put his finger in his side. Now, he might have, and John just chose not to tell us, but it seems unlikely given the vivid nature of this account. Personally, I don't think Thomas did ever reach out and touch. I don't think he needed to. I think the sight of that evidence along with the, the presence of Christ in the room, the stirring in Thomas's heart of peace, the grace and love and kindness that Jesus had shown to him in spite of his doubt, I think that was enough to convince him that this one in front of him had not only risen from the dead, but that he was in fact God in the flesh. And not just God, my God, my Lord. What I'm trying to get at is that the journey to faith involves both empirical evidence and personal experience. There are these two streams that come together. There's an objective, rational, 
even scientific journey that leads us towards faith in God. But there's also an objective, I mean, subjective, personal, mysterious line that leads us towards faith in Christ. And when those two streams come together, reasonable argument and life-changing encounter, when they come together, they become a mighty river of belief that not only shapes your life, but begins to change the landscape around you. I'll put it this way. The unbelievable becomes believable when empirical evidence and personal experience come together in Christ. In Christ. In other words, as important as reason and research and understanding is for your journey to faith, sooner or later, you've got to meet Jesus. Sooner or later, you have to encounter this person of Christ who lived, died, rose again for you. Sometimes you just have to be in the room when he shows up, whatever that room might be. It might be a worship room like this where you sense a stirring in your heart of something that's true and beautiful and good that you want to know more about. Maybe you sense something when you're on a beach or a starry night or watching a sunset and seeing God's handiwork and, and you sense God's presence. Maybe you hear God speaking to you through the Bible or a friend who offers you counsel or speaks into your life. Maybe while you're doing some act of kindness or love or service, you feel more alive and more yourself than you've ever felt before. Or maybe you have some conviction from time to time that you simply are not living the life you really want to live or becoming the person you really were meant to be. It's that evidence and experience together that lead us to faith in Christ. And that's how it worked for me that freshman year of high school. I did some research, I read some books, I talked to my youth leaders, they were all very helpful. But ultimately, it was a powerful work of God in my life and in our whole youth group, as I described a few weeks ago here, that, that changed my heart. That year, I experienced Christ at work in my life and in the people around me. I not only knew it was true, I knew I was going to spend the rest of my life living and sharing that truth with others. So that's my story. You've heard some other folks' celebrity stories this morning, but the truth is this congregation, this church is full of people who've made the journey from unbelieving to believing. And so each week in this series, we want to leave you with one story of an ordinary person who's made the journey from unbelief to belief from a variety of walks of life. So let's turn our attention to the screen for just a moment, and then I'll come back and wrap things up. actually a r really long process. I know it wasn't sort of I was, you know, you know, this militant atheist and all of a sudden had this lightning hit me and changed everything. It was a, a you know, I would say at least a year-long process and, you know, it's, I spent a lot of time thinking about it, a lot of time considering it and there is, you know, I weighed so much evidence in that. My name is Karma Carrier. I've got a PhD in molecular biology at the university, from the University of British Columbia. I studied viruses, uh, virus replication. I did some work, my uh, postdoctoral work at Emory University School of Medicine where I studied uh, cancer virology. Um, since then, I've moved up to Boston where I work in the biotech industry. When I was in my early 20s, when I was in university, I was actually an atheist. I had embraced uh, a type of atheism known as Marxism, which I felt was the, um, 
the worldview that was most compatible with science. I really love science. Um, at this time, you know, I had a big uh, Soviet flag hanging in my bedroom. I went around quoting um, Joseph Stalin. I loved reading books by atheist authors such as Carl Sagan and um, Richard Dawkins. You know, I was studying virology as part of my PhD, and one of my PIs asked me, you know, a question about a Ebola virus and said, "What was the vector for the Ebola virus?" And I said, "It was a monkey." And she basically went, said to me saying, no, you're watching too many movies. No one knows what the vector for the Ebola virus is at this point. You just got that from a movie called Outbreak that was released a few months earlier. And, and she was right. And she said, I challenge you to actually spend more time trying to analyze every aspect of your life and applying a scientific standard to it. And what it came to the conclusion was, is you know, my own atheist belief, there's no more evidence to support that than there was to support Christianity or any other religious belief. In a sense, atheism was simply another religious point of view. I was at an institution where there were not a lot of other graduate students and you know we didn't have a lot of people to spend time with the working long hours but there's one group of people on campus who kept you know introducing themselves to me wanting to do things with me and those people were Christians um, you know and, and my my initial thought was actually they're a very odd group of people always saying nice things behaving very politely uh, they always wanted to spend time with me and asking me to do things and I, I didn't know what they were on but I knew I wanted some and I just ended up spending time with these guys and I thought, you know, I like these guys. Looking into the, reading the Bible and I think, you know, over and over again, and I think it really was the, the crucifixion of Jesus that, um, you know, just seeing what he'd gone to and suffer and realizing that, you know, he was, he, someone has loved me to sacrifice themselves for me. That's a, that's a thought I'd never ever occurred to me. When I became a Christian, I was actually, that was actually the point of my baptism. And I just remember that night, that evening, and there's all kinds of songs and singing and celebration, and it was a campus ministry, and I really had a good time. And I just remember thinking that just, you know, I was so much at peace. You know, prior to that, I was always anxious about everything. And I just remember just being a, a sense of peace with the world during that night. And yes, his name really is Karma. His parents were hippies, and that's his story, okay? But you heard in his story how those two streams came together, the empirical evidentiary stream, as he thought and reasoned and read and came to the conclusion that belief was the most reasonable explanation for all the evidence in the scientific world. At the same time, he was having these personal encounters with Christ-following people. People who were showing him the love and truth and beauty of Christ. And, and those two streams led him to an encounter with Christ on the cross. Realizing a God who loved him, came to earth, died for him. And at that point, he came to faith and experienced the peace and presence of Christ in his life. You see, the unbelievable becomes believable when evidence and experience come together in Christ. Our world is full of people who are singing Mumford's song. I don't even know what I believe. But it turns out it's not just a song, it's a prayer. Say something, say something, he sings. Open my eyes, tell me I'm alive. 
What he's asking for, what we're all asking for, is for someone to give us a reason. A reason to believe there's more to life than meets the eye. A reason to live, a reason to love, a reason to serve, a reason to become the people we were meant to be and live the life we were meant to live. A reason to believe that this life can be good and powerful and meaningful, that we can do something good in this world and that there's life beyond this life as well. We're all asking that question. And if you're one of those people, I want to invite you to come back the next three weeks as we take some time to think about these things. Maybe you're a seeker, skeptic, unbeliever, I don't know. Maybe you're a believer who finds yourself moving away. Come on back for the next few weeks. Let's think about these things together. I'll invite you for these Sunday services. I'll also invite you to the Alpha Course. It begins this Thursday night here in, in Lexington, Monday night in Wilmington. A safe place to sit with some people, to be in the room together and ask questions and explore the Christian faith. Sometimes you just have to be in the room for Jesus to show up. But for those of us who consider ourselves believers, let me remind us of something as well. Jesus of Nazareth is no longer here physically to offer his hands and feet and side to the world. But you are. We are. We are the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. The Bible tells us we are the body of Christ. We are his presence on display for the whole world to see. Are you showing up in the lives of your friends and co-workers and family and neighbors and classmates? Are you offering them your life as evidence for the truth of the Christian faith? Is your integrity, your character, your work ethic, your love and kindness and grace and hope and joy is that telling them that there is a risen Christ who's at work in your life? These are big questions to ask. That empty park bench invites us to sit for a few moments in our crazy, noisy world and think about these things. And that's the time we'd like to offer you these next few moments. A few moments just to sit beside an empty tomb and ask God to open up your eyes and tell you you're alive and why. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to listen to a song for a few minutes. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to today to remember and celebrate this great story, these remarkable events, these life-changing truths, truths that many of us have come to believe that have shaped our lives in wonderful ways, that have made an impact on the world and are being celebrated around the world today by all kinds of people. And so we're grateful to celebrate them again. But Lord, we do confess that at times we all find ourselves wondering and struggling if and what to believe. So we pray that today in these few moments on this important day and in the days to come that you might in fact open up our eyes as well. That we would see all that you have in store for us and for this world in Jesus' name, amen.